I am sure it wasn't intentional, but Rabbi Schoonmaker gave me the biggest challenge. When you're giving a shir on Hanukkah last, there's not a lot that I'm going to be able to tell you that you may not have heard already. Certainly the sources, already starting with Rabbi Bolovsky last week, most of the sources you've seen, I hope that I can add a little bit of an additional insight. So let's see a few of the sources on the source sheet. Source one you saw uh, certainly with Rabbi Bolovsky, at least he told it to you outside, now you're going to see it inside. This is the Medrash at the beginning of Sefer Breshis, Ve'aretz Haisa Tohu Vavohu Ve'choshech Al Penei Tahom, Reb Shimon Ben Lokish, that's Rish Lokish, Potar Karya Begoluyos. He interpreted these psukim, this pasuk, to be referring to the Arbagolios, the four kingdoms and the four exiles. The Aaretz Haisatohu Zegolus Bovel, Choshech Vohu is is Poros, Choshech Zegolus Yavan, the Greek exile. Why are we calling the Greek exile Choshech? They darkened the eyes of the Jewish people with their decrees. Right on the horn of a bull, you have no portion in the Eloke Israel. And, of course, the contradiction is an internal contradiction. Um, showing that the Greeks were definitely not atheists, but somehow or other they're demanding a disconnect between the Jewish people and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what they're demanding. Chazal called this darkening the eyes of the Jewish people, Choshech. And all of it's, of course, quite astounding that most, if not all of the science and mathematics and progress that we have in our Western world all came, was built on the foundation of Greece, of Greek wisdom. And the rabbis call that darkness. And you would have expected that to be some kind of illumination. That's the first thing we're going to keep in mind. Source two, the Rambam. Unusual for the Rambam, he starts off Hilchas Hanukkah by giving us a history lesson. They made decrees against the Jewish people. They annulled our religion. They didn't allow us to be involved. It notice it doesn't say but rather And here's a very strange intro. Uh, 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 Thing that the Rambam introduces, upashtu yadam b'mamonam u'bivnosehem, that they extended their hands on our money and our daughters. That's part of the of the of the exile of the of the um, oppression. Nichlesu lehechalu partsu bar pratsos v'timu hataharos. Again, this has been mentioned. I'm sure they did not, in contradistinction to the other two exiles. They didn't try to destroy the temple, but they simply wore mitame the temple. They were mitame the oil. The, you, this is the only of the four exiles where the goal was not to destroy the Jewish people. Babylonia, Persia, Haman, and of course Rome. 
Their goal was to destroy the Jewish people physically. Greece, the goal was not to destroy the Jewish people, but to destroy Judaism. And somehow or other, this connects to the Timu Hataros, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a big miracle, and the Chashmonoim overcame, and we were saved. Now let's look at the sources on the mitzvah of Hanukkah, and a few unique things about it. So the Gemara in the in Shabbos, I'm sure again you must have seen it if this is the last year, last year and all the Yemei Yun, you've got to have seen this Gemara. Tonu Rabbonah Mitzvah's Hanukkah Ner Ishu Beso. This is unique. Normally we understand mitzvahs are personalized. Every person has to put on tefillin. Every person has to hear shofar. Every person has to eat matzah. And here we have a mitzvah not on the individual, but on the household. That Iker mitzvah is ner ish ubeso. You have a family, you have a father and a mother and children, and they all gather together, and the head of the household lights one candle for the entire household. That's the mitzvah. Ner ish ubeso. Very strange definition of the mitzvah. But then we come to something even more strange that doesn't exist, it exists very much in our modern Orthodox culture but it does not exist anywhere in legislated halacha. And that is mahadrin. Everybody knows what mahadrin is, right? Just look at every hefsher. Okay? That's in our modern cultural halachic uh, world. In legislated halacha, this does not exist anywhere else. Mahadrin, ner l'chol echad ve'echad. The upgrade of the mitzvah is to do every person in the household one candle, so in that imaginary family we talked about, the head of the household will light eight candles, and he will light eight candles every night. Now, mahadrin, mina mahadrin, I'm sure you're familiar with that term also, right? You have echserim that are mahadrin, and then there's echserim that are mahadrin, mina mahadrin, but in halacha, there's the highest level, which is what we do, and that is one candle, two candles, three candles, or according to Beishamai 876, but this is three discrete levels legislated of performance. That's a very unique thing. And then the Rambam codifies that in Halacha, source number four. Kamenei Rusu Madlik Hanukkah, Mitzvah Sashia Kobayit Ubayit Madlik Ner Echad, the basic mitzvah. Ben Shah Yuan Shea Bayit Merubin, Ben Shalohoya Boenel Ella Adam Echad, every household does the mitzvah exactly the same. The mitzvah is on the household. The mahader is a mitzvah madlik neros keminyan, anshei habayit, ner l'kol echad ve'echad, bein anoshim bein noshim, the mahader yeser al zeh, ve'osef mitzvah min hamuvchar, madlik ner l'kol echad ve'echad, v'layla rishon, u'mosif v'holet v'chol layla v'layla ner echad. Again, the Ramam seems to have a little bit of different shita than how we behave. But again, the Ramam has codified three levels of performance. Then the Rambam says in Halacha Yud Beis, a very, very strange phrase. Mitzvah ner Hanukkah, mitzvah chaviva hi ad ma'od. A beloved mitzvah. Do we play favorites with mitzvahs? Chaviva, this is a beloved mitzvah. Tfilin, not a beloved mitzvah. Shabbos, not a beloved mitzvah. Ner Hanukkah, a beloved mitzvah. Lahader, 
Afilu Eino Mayochal, it's one of the only mitzvot that the poor person has to go begging for money or selling the shirt off his back to fulfill the mitzvah. If you don't have money for an esrog, technically, if you don't, don't have money for an esrog. So there's nothing you can do. You're an onus Rahman Patre. Here you have to go begging or sell the shirt off your back. Something very unique about Neros Hanukkah. Again, it is, alright, because of the, of the pursum of the next. So we see here some very unique things about Ner Hanukkah. And let's go now in a little bit more into some of the background. Source number six. Malka Visareha Vagoyim Ein Torah. It's a Pasuk in Echa. Says the Medrash. Im Yomar Lecha Adam Yeshchachma Bagoyim. The non-Jews, they have wisdom. The Jews do not have a monopoly on Chachma. Even though we have um, tw- over 20% of the Nobel Prizes, um, most of them in uh, chemistry, economics, physics, medicine. Okay, it's, it's an amazing thing. But we don't have a monopoly on Chachma. There's also Chachma in going. We only have 25%. We don't have 95%. But, Chachamim so they have Chachma. But Yesh Torah Bagoyim. But when they tell you that the non Jewish world gives you Torah, and I understand Torah here to mean values, morality and values, Altamin. We're going to have to understand what this relationship is between Torah and Chachma. And the Greeks were known for Chachma. They, all of the Chachma that we have came from them. And that's Chachma Bagoyim Tami. So what was missing from that? Just p- pointing out number seven, if I'm sure this was mentioned before also, I know Rabbi Velofsky mentioned it, I heard it, I'm sure that it was mentioned also, is that in your Al-Hanisim, in source number seven, there is no mention of the miracle of the oil. The only thing that's mentioned is the victory. The miraculous victory. So now if we talk about Hechshichu Enehem B'Gzeroteah They darkened our eyes with their Gzeros. What were they trying to accomplish? What was the point? One of the things we know is that the three I'm sure you heard this also in the earlier, earlier Shiurim, that the three main mitzvos that were a bone in their throat were Mila, Shabbos, and Kiddush HaChodesh. What is the common denominator of those mitzvos that bothered them so much. Rav Hutner has an unbelievable insight. HaKadosh Borchu, the will of God, HaKadosh Borchu reveals his will to man in three, di- in two different systems. You may not realize it, but the laws of nature were created by God, and if they were created by God as a system, that system reveals His will. We have to figure out the will of God through nature. There's another system through which He reveals His will, and that's the Torah. We have two systems that reveal God's will. Torah and nature. What's the difference? The laws of nature are immutable. You can't decide tomorrow 
whether you are going to like the law of gravity and choose not to obey it. Or you're not going to be able to choose tomorrow that, well, today I like Coke, and tomorrow I think I'll drink some, drink some bleach. The laws of nature are immutable. No free will. Whereas the laws of the Torah are completely up to you. They are completely turned over to man with, with his complete free will. So the laws of nature are the external dimension of reality. And the laws of the Torah are the inner dimension of reality. And here's where the conflict between Greece and the Jewish people comes into play. Greece was built on the observable, on the laws of nature, might makes right, beauty, power, superficial observation. What does it look like? And while they understood there was some kind of a spiritual reality, Ein lachem chelek be'elokei Yisrael, this complete detachment. Man is completely governed by the laws of nature, and man is a, a prisoner of nature, and more, moral choices have no impact. There can be functional choices. We want a society that runs better. Murder isn't morally wrong. It's just functionally wrong, unless it's functionally valuable, etc., etc. So the laws of nature are absolute, and that's the only reality that we relate to. But we believe that there is a, re- a relationship between our physical actions and our spiritual impact, morality, and that we have an influence on the world. We have a cosmic impact when we make moral choices. We'll talk for a moment about Shabbos and Mila, and we'll save Kiddush HaChodesh for the end. Shabbos is really all about purpose. I'm sure you probably heard other things to understand why they were against Shabbos, but one of them is purpose. If the world is purely physical, and this is one of the challenges that atheistic biologists, cosmologists, and scientists have, is there really can be no purpose of nature. It just happens. So Shabbos is our statement. That's why Shabbos is me'en olam haba. We have six days of sheshes yemei ma'aseh, always leading to a Shabbos. The purpose is Shabbos to declare that God is a creator. Shabbos represents purpose. In the Greek world, there's no purpose. Except pleasure. Epicurus. Just enjoy. Brismila says we have the ability to control our physical drives through moral choices. According to the Greeks, everything is physical. You have instinct. You do what you want, or you do what works. But the ability to control because of morality, that doesn't come into play. And that's what Brismila represents. So those are the, these are really two foundational conflicts in the value system. If the Greeks are missing 50% of reality, that's darkness. If you don't get it, if you don't know the reality, then you're really operating in darkness. 
And there's a famous section in Mesilat Yesharim that talks about the problem of being in darkness. Let's see source number eight. The famous Mesilat Yesharim, if you haven't seen it, you need to know it. When you are in the dark, you're walking in a dark place, there's no street illumination, two things can go wrong. There are two mistakes you can make. You won't see what's in front of you. You will walk right into the lamp post because it's dark. Oh, there's another mistake that could happen when you're in the dark. I'm in source number eight. Oh, you will have a mistake. Instead of walking into the lamppost, you're going to give Sholem Aleichem to the lamppost. Because you'll think it's a person. So, just like you could think that a lamppost is a human being. So you can also make a mistake about the physical aspects of this world. You'll see physicality, but if you don't see it with illumination, but you are in darkness in trying to understand it and to see it, then you're going to make two mistakes. So if you don't understand correctly what the physical world is, you're going to make two mistakes. You're not going to see the traps. You're not going to see the hazards that exist in the physical world. And silly people walk with confidence. And they walk right into the lamppost. We're now studying in Hameniach. In, in, in they don't see the boar and they walk right into the boar and go boom because it was dark. So that's one mistake you can make by not realizing the reality of the physical world. The calls the next one a much more serious mistake. If you're in darkness, you could look at things in the world and they are corrupt and evil, and you're walking in darkness, and you think it's great. I don't want to wax political, so I'm not going to give any examples, but anybody who just goes knows what's going on in the world today can probably see this is happening in front of us. The most corrupt things are being celebrated. The most, ideal, uh, most valuable moral things are being downgraded. That's much worse than walking into the lamppost. Hatov ki'iluhu ra... We see good things and they say they're bad, and we see bad things and we say they're good. So this amplifies and strengthens our corrupt actions. It would be bad enough if we wouldn't see the bad stuff in front of us. It would be bad enough if we didn't walk into the if we walk into the lamppost. Ella, but it's much worse. It's almost like the Mesilat Yisharim was analyzing today's culture. That it looks to them like they're going to find proof that and, and experiments and proof that what they're saying is true. 
lisvarotem haraot, their corrupt svara uledeo tam hakozvot and their false ideologies. That's darkness. So when the Greeks missed the dimension of spiritual of the spiritual world, when they missed the hidden dimension, that not everything in reality is on the surface, but they missed that hidden dimension. So the two mistakes of the Mesilat Yisharim come bounding forth. That they crash into the lamppost, they fall into the bore, but even worse is they take evil and turn it into good, and take good and turn it into evil. That's the conflict. We're in a culture war. We were in a culture war back then. We'll see in a minute, in a few more minutes, the, the ultimate result, but there's a culture war. And we have to identify it and realize that that's what Hanukkah is all about. I think that in the um, in the non-Orthodox world about Hanukkah, they try to make Hanukkah into a battle of religious freedom. Religious freedom. The Greeks were trying to deprive us of our religious freedom. And that's a mistake. Hanukkah was a, was a battle for religious coercion. Because we were coercing the Misyavnim, who were Jews to behave according to the Torah. We were fighting for the truth of Torah. We were tr- fighting for the truth of our value system, and we tried to impose that, at least on the Jewish people. Hol- hol- ultimately, we don't impose it on the world, but we're hopefully going to radiate the light that will eventually make the world realize that it's true, but we have to know we're in a culture war. Let's go back for a minute to source 7 and pay a little more attention to what we say in Alanisi. Please remember that the Greeks worshipped wisdom. And one of the manifestations of that is the insistence that our Torah be translated into Greek so they could have access to it. They understood that Torah is wisdom. Amazing. Lots of valuable things in it. But it's only Torah that we understand. It's translating into Greek. What they li- eliminated is Torah Shabal Peh. The inner dimension. Torah Shabal Peh comes from the intellect, from the wisdom, from the nishama of the Talmidei Chachamim. And they ignored that. So it's wisdom on the surface. And therefore, now let's read carefully a couple of phrases in the al What did they try to do? In the second line of source 7. What did they try to do? It doesn't say Torah. They translated it into Greek. But what they wanted us to forget is Torah That we have a divine Torah. That this wisdom of Torah is not just human wisdom. It's not something that's just, wow, men, really smart men figured it out. But it's divinely revealed Torah. It's connected to God. Ulaha viram. And what else did they want to make us violate? Chukei ritzonecha. What are chukim? Chukim are the laws that are not rational. They're not something that man could figure out. Well, that if there are chukim, that stands in absolute opposition to everything the Greeks stand for. So they wanted to get us to, uh, to violate chukei ritzonecha because chukim are the revealed will of God. And according to them, there's no such thing. We don't have revealed will of God. We have the uncovered wisdom of man. 
man looks at the world and figures out from the world what it's all about. And there is such a dimension, but it's only half of the wor- half of the picture. If we understand that everything in the physical world has spiritual potential, that the surface observation is physical, but there's always the hidden dimension that is we hold is connected to the physical, and their decree was, no, the physical has no connection to the spiritual. So the Rambam points out what they did and why they specifically targeted our money and our women. Because both of those are really the essence of physicality. Money is the representation of physicality, of hedonism. Money, power. Women, well, that's the ultimate in the drive, in the physical lustful drive. But in Judaism, money has the potential to be spiritual. If you use the money for the right things, then every dollar can be a mitzvah, the, the famous Ramchal in, in Derech Hashem. And we hold that our relationship with women is sanctity, kiddushin. It's the most sanctified thing, and this is where we stand in opposition. To the Greeks, money is about power and, and, and indulgence. Women are about physical drives, and to us it's the most holy thing. This is why the Rambam points out specifically that this is what they were attacking. This idea of Ner Ish Ubeso. We have to talk here about the spiritual dimension that exists within each individual person, which is their Neshama, and every Neshama is unique. Here we have to talk about the uniqueness, the spiritual uniqueness of every Jew. You see, in the physical world, basically everybody is only what you see. It's it's about your power, it's about your car, it's about your money, it's about your fashion, it's very superficial. So there's no real individuality, anybody can buy a Porsche if they have enough money, and people like to make it think that their fashion or their car, or their profession, or their physical prowess, that's what makes them unique. The the morale in the uh, Mishnah of Ezuhu Gibor, HaKovesh Yitzro, says that it ha- it, when we talk about Gibor, we can't be talking about physical prowess, says the Maral. Because if we're talking about physical prowess, man is a weakling compared to the elephants and the lions. So it's got to be something else. But in the Greek world, no, it's only the physical. But we understand that there's the inner dimension, your free choice. That's where man is different. The nature, the God's Torah is different. That that is your unique choice. That's your unique individuality. Every home is different. Ner Ishu Beso means every home is being the Kaim, the mitzvah in their own home. 
And the idea of, this is how I understand the idea of basic mitzvah, mahadrin and mahadrin mina mahadrin, is the realization that every person is unique. And every person is going to fulfill the mitzvah a little differently. And while on the surface, we only have three options, and on the surface, every person, I assume each of you put on black square tillin this morning. Everybody put on exactly the same tillin. And everybody is going to take Shabbos in at exactly the same time. And on Pesach, everybody is going to eat the same matzah, more or less. So that's very conformist. Where's the individuality? It's only in your personal, spiritual dimension. How you as an individual are relating and imbuing the mitzvah that you're doing, which appears on the surface to be the same, you can imbue it with uniqueness. With unique spiritual dimension that's only yours. And that's one of the things that Hanukkah represents in in conflict with Greek ideology is we're not all the same. It's not all about surface. Where we're unique is in our individuality. That's where we're unique. That's where we're special. Mitzvah chaviva ma'od. I like to understand that as alluding to the famous dreaded question that anyone who has siblings asks their parents. Who do you love best? And if your parents, you know, had to answer something, they'd probably say, we love you all the same. And you probably rolled your eyes. Said, give me a break. Well, get ready for your kids to ask you the same question. But I believe it's possible to love all the children the same if you realize that every child is unique. And the, the, the love is demonstrated by the uniqueness the recognition of uniqueness. So Hanukkah, I like to say, is mitzvah chaviva ma'od because it represents the inner dimension, the unique inner dimension of every Jew, of every person. Let's talk for a minute now about Kiddush HaChodesh. And for that, we're going to go to the last source Find my source sheet on the source page. So a very powerful Svasenis. And he asks the question of why these three mitzvos? Itakiyevanim, source nine, I'm going to do it in the original Hebrew, but I translated it to English if you have trouble following. Itakiyevanim Bikshu Levatel Gimel Mitzvos. Chodesh, Shabbos, Umila. So we already spoke a little bit about Shabbos and Mila, and I'm sure you had it in some of the other Shirim. Kiddush HaChodesh is the tricky one. Kosha, mayin Chodesh, shebikshu levatel yoser mikol ha-mitzvos. Why did Kiddush HaChodesh bother the Greeks so much? Raknira ha-pirush al Kiddush HaChodesh, shezechara lahem, asher yet talui kedushas hazmanim b'Yisrael. We have the ability to imbue sanctity to time. Well, in a Greek world, time just happens. It's just time. You're just going through and it happens. We have the ability to declare and transform a certain day into a day of holiness or not. One day that we said is Yom Kippur becomes Yom Kippur because we said it's Yom Kippur. So even if they're going to acknowledge maybe there is such a thing as Yom Kippur, but how do you human beings create it? Here the Svasemis ties this together to the decree with the question that we asked at the beginning. 
Kashem Amadashach. Kari Le'elo Ke Yisrael. Ve'ein Lechem Chelek. That's an internal contradiction. If you're an atheist. But the Greeks didn't view it as an internal contradiction. Because that was their whole point. Rak She'emunah Zu Ratzu Levatel. Mibnei Yisrael. They wanted to erase this belief. Shelo yaminu b'zeh asher kiddusha mashpa'at kefi ma'asehem. Your actions can imbue some physical reality with spiritual sanctity and have cosmic impact. They deny that. Shema'asehem e'orurim b'shamayim zehu rotzulavata. We can do something that activates spiritual transcendent realities they have to cut that off. Ba'kodesh Borcho Hosif Lanu Odal Yedehem Chanuko Shuhu Kain Gam Kedimion HaChodesh. So the first thing the Svasem is here is saying is that's why HaKodesh Borcho gave us Chanukah. Chanukah was given as another aspect because of our actions. HaKodesh Borcho controlled nature. He made mir- he made miracles. One of the reasons you have to connect, uh, it's again in Allah, the, well, the mitzvah that we do is only the, the miracle of the oil. The miracle of the oil is not mentioned at all in Allah Nisim. All we talk about is the, the milita- military victory. I'd like to connect that, I, Rabbi, I, the uh, famous question of the Beis Yosef, Hanukkah is eight days, the miracle is only seven days, why do we light eight candles, we should only light seven, we should only celebrate for seven, and uh, Rabbi, Lofsky, Rabbi Belovsky, I think, exaggerated a little bit, I think there is a book that gives a hundred answers to that question, there is such a safer, a hundred answers to that question. To me, the most compelling answer is that there were seven days of miracles, and we light an eighth day, we celebrate an eighth day to show that the natural world is also a miracle. That when the oil burned, for one day, that's also miraculous. Miraculous in the sense that it's programmed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what, therefore, the, mir- the victory in the military appeared natural. It was explainable. It was, yeah, it was, it was Rabim Biyad Ma'atim. And that doesn't seem so natural. But if you read up the history of the Six-Day War, you will see how miraculous things can be interpreted by people who don't believe in divine intervention as being natural. The Six-Day War, if you read the books, they, they give you all the natural explanations. Well, we had, a, we had that, that, I'm sure that they would have said exactly the same thing if they were analyzing the Hanukkah victory. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to show us both his love and his intervention, also did a supernatural miracle, to show the connection. And that's what he, what he gave us extra Hanukkah to show that yes, your physical actions, your morality, your standing up for Jewish values can activate special intervention from HaKadosh Baruch Hu into the physical world. Shema Aseim, I'm back in the fourth line in the Hebrew. Shema Aseim, Me'orin Bashamayim, Zeu Ratzu Levatel, V'HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hosifana, Oral Yedeim Chanukah, Shuhu Gam Kein Kedimion HaChodesh. This is like Kiddush HaChodesh. One aspect of it is that our actions can create sanctity. Our actions can create Kedusha. Our actions can create spiritual reality. The Bezin declares Rosh Chodesh. Ten days later, it's Yom Kippur. You do a mitzvah. You do some moral act. You do a chesed. You do a mitzvah. It has cosmic impact. The Adarab. Now he adds to something a very deep point. Chodesh, Huzman Hitchatshut. Every new moon, what happens in a month? The moon starts growing and then it waxes and then it wanes and wanes and wanes. 
And then what happens a moment before the molad? The moon disappears. It's gone. And then what happens? Rosh Chodesh is, it starts over again. That's Koach HaChidush. Adarabah Chodesh Uzman Hitchatshut. Where we renew. Raksidur HaKviyut Talui B'Yisrael. But the pinpoint of that Rosh Chodesh to start the new month depends on us. V'yatano seif lanu hitchatshut. So God added another renewal. Hanukkah is also a renewal. It's a renewal of our Jewish value system, which was about to be eradicated. Nosaf lanu hitchatshut af pe'et ha'chodesh shehu sof ha'chodesh. When does Rosh Chodesh come in? At the darkest time. The, mo- the, mo- the moon is almost gone. It looks like it's all over. And then we start over again. When do we have Hanukkah? I'm sure this came up. We have Hanukkah in the dead of winter. The darkest time. It looks like it's all over. And then we start over again. And here he says a very deep word, which I myself don't quite understand. I'll share it with you and you guys can think about it. There's a unity between Hanukkah and Rosh Chodesh. Both of them are Hitchatshut. Both of them are renewal. Rak Rosh Chodesh who Rosh Hahitchatshus. Rosh Chodesh is the beginning of renewal. The Chanukah Sofahitchatshus. Chanukah is the end of the renewal. It probably means that that was when we sank, when we rededicated the temple. So we finished off the Hitchatshus. We finished off the Chanukas Habayit. We finished rededicating it. In other words, we finished the victory over the Greeks in impo- in standing up for our value system. I want to go to one other point, which again is a really stands at the a core of the conflict between Jewish culture, Jewish values, and Greek culture, Greek values, and that is Tuma and Tahara. Timu Kolashmani. They didn't destroy, they didn't come in and pour out all the oil. They came in and they were metame the oil. Gotcha. They touched it. Gotcha. Well, what's going on here? So the first thing you have to realize when you talk about Tum and Tara is that after they were metame that oil, was there any observable, discernible difference between the tame oil and the tahar oil? Nothing. They look exactly the same. In the Greek world, that means nothing happened. Nothing happened. Of course, to us, that was a radical transformation. Where does this Tuma come from? So for that, you have to see Rabbi Shamshir and Hirsch's explanation of Tuma and Tahara. It's in chapter 11 of Vayikra. I strongly recommend it. It's a very long piece. It's pages and pages where he introduces the whole concept of Tuma and Tahara in a fascinating way. But the thing that you pull out from there which relates to Hanukkah is that death, which is always where we find Tuma, Death represents man's complete subjugation to the natural world. It's inescape. Death is the one inescapable thing about the world. So a dead person shows man is completely controlled by nature. And that indicates no freedom, no free choice. This is what Rav Huttner was saying about the laws of nature as God's revealing a system where man is bound without any choice. Well, says Rav, says Rav Hirsch that when man confronts that, there's a very, very likely mistake. 
if we have no choice in the natural physical world, so maybe we are victims of our environment. We are victims of the physical world. And therefore we have no moral choice. We have no free choice, which is exactly part of the secular culture is that everything is environmental, everything is, 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 is circumstance, either because of your genes or because of your environment, either your nature or your nurture, but you're just victims of nature. So says Rav Hirsch, that's why when that happens, you have to withdraw to, re, to realize and to re-clarify that while the physical world, you're completely a prisoner of nature, in the moral world, you have complete free will. And when it looks like you can't control nature, don't extrapolate that to your ability or inability to control your moral choices. That's Tuma and Tahara. And therefore, the Greeks are coming in. They're not out to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. They're out to impose their value system on us. That there's no difference between Tuma and Tahara. There's no difference between moral acts and immoral acts. It's only functional. And that's where, again, we had to step up and HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to do what was basically an unnecessary miracle. I'm sure this must have come up. Tuma Hutra B'tzibur. If all they had was Tuma oil, they would have been able to use the Tuma oil. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu did an unnecessary miracle. Maybe we'll add another point. Is if you remember Pirkei Avos, Asara Nisim Nasu Lavosenu Bamikdash, Every day in the Beis Hamikdash there were ten miracles, and if you read those miracles in Pirkei Avos, the the oil burning for an extra few days that's kindergarten stuff compared to the miracles that were going on every day in the Beis Hamikdash. But we don't have a holiday for that. We have a holiday for this. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu did an unnecessary miracle because we did it. We went to fight for the Tara, and they were fighting for the Tuma. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu has to show that he's there and that our actions bring down impact. They bring down control from above. And therefore, even though the miracle was not necessary halachically, it was there conceptually and ideologically to show us that our value system, you have to fight for your value system. We're in a culture war. The the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. This is this this Hanukkah story happened in the middle of the Second Temple. So wow, we're celebrating the fact that we came back to rededicate the Beis Hamikdash. Yeah, but two hundred years later it was destroyed. So why are we still celebrating Hanukkah? Apparently, this was an issue in the Rishonim. All right, in later times after the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, the Geonim and the Rishonim should we still be celebrating Hanukkah? Hanukkah, very nice. That was when we had a Beis Hamikdash. What? But we don't have a Beis Hamikdash anymore. Why are we still celebrating Hanukkah? And I think one of the reasons is. Because the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, but our cultural victory is not destroyed. And Hanukkah is not about the Beis Hamikdash. Hanukkah is about our cultural victory. And we have to realize that we're still in this conflict. We're still in this battle, and it's just overwhelming the powers, the pressure of what we have to call. Chachma Yavana, Greek ideology, Greek culture, the darkness, Choshech, Al Tahom, it's the exile of Greece, because as the Messiah Shisharim says, we're very confused. When you don't see reality, you walk into the lamppost, 
You give Shalom Aleichem to the lamppost. You take things that are fundamentally good and turn them into evil. You take things that are fundamentally evil and turn them into good. And we have to be, we have to make sure that we have illumination. That's the Hanukkah lamping, illuminating reality. We have to know reality and not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the darkness. Hanukkah Sameach.